This is The Immigrant View, a podcast for immigrants by immigrants. Welcome to the show. The Immigrant View is brought to you by ImmigrantNetworks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Immigrant View. Good. I was going to say good afternoon, but good day to you. Uh, my name is Ayo Owiduni. It's a pleasure being here with you. Hope you're having a great day. Today, I have a very special guest. Uh, the first time we spoke, I think we were supposed to speak for, what, 20 minutes or something? And we ended up speaking for like an hour plus, uh, just laughing and just uh, learning about one another. And, uh, you know, when you read people's profiles and all the amazing things that they're doing, sometimes you just say to yourself, I, you need to do some more. Like these people are so inspiring and doing such amazing things. That's how I felt when I had the conversation with uh, Dr. Ruba. I was just like, wow, I need to go. I need to go back to the drawing board and, and get back to work again. But who exactly is Dr. Ruba Fatal? Uh, she holds a PhD in political science. She's a full-time public servant. She's a part-time professor at the University of Ottawa and Carleton University. I don't know if that's still uh, current, actually. Uh, but I'll just throw it out there. She's also a wife. She's a mother to three children. She's the author of several books, children books. She's a volunteer. She's also a community leader. Uh, she founded the Kanada uh, Carlton Small Business Network, which is a nonprofit organization to help connect and empower small businesses within session tools, essential tools, workshops, and inspiration. And I also noticed online recently that she has a campaign going, Canada Laptops for Refugees campaign uh, with the hashtag Canada Laptops for Refugees. So please go check it out. If you have a laptop that you can give out, visit their website, cciottawa.ca, cciottawa.ca. Dr. Ruba, it's a pleasure having you. Oh my God! Hi, Ayo. What a nice introduction. I feel humbled and uh, you know a little bit blushing actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know when, when when I um the first time I was talking to when I read your profile and I was just like, man, <laughs> this is awesome. Well, this when is... we were just reading it, I'm like, is that all me? <laughs> I'm like, when did I have time to do that? Wow! 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 By the way, something I didn't mention about Dr. Ruba, she came, she uh, emigrated, I guess that's the right word. I can, I can never figure out the, the word, whether it's immigrate or emigrate, but I know, I believe it's emigrate. She emigrated from Syria as a teenager um, back in the 90s. I'm not going to share what year so people can't start guessing your age or anything like that. <laughs> uh, she came uh, in the 90s as a teenager then. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's been in Canada for over 20 plus years now, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Almost 30, almost 30 by now. Wow, almost 30 years. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Uh, you know, I, I think I have, a, I have a privilege of an hour plus conversation learning about you. Uh, but, but I would say, yeah, this is a great opportunity. Would love people to also know and learn about Dr. Ruba. Uh, yeah, tell us your story. Um, what inspired moving to Canada? Why Canada? So as, uh, as you mentioned, I did uh, immigrate with my parents uh, as a teenager, but I was, uh, it was from Saudi Arabia. So we were in Saudi Arabia. 
Yes, and yes. Okay. At the time, I wanted to go to university. My parents were not sure where they, they would like to, to move to. Okay. If it was back to Syria, to Lebanon. And uh, we had Canadian friends at the time. And they said, you know, why not Canada? We looked into it. My mother was in love with Montreal and with the whole idea of the Olympics. She watched and read everything about it. So she was insisting on going to Montreal. Aww. My dad uh, speaks perfect French. He, um, he grew up uh, in French school. So it was uh, an easy choice in that sense. And by, and by the way, I know you shared this with me. You talked about how in Syria, there was a point where French was the official language. Am I correct? So when I immigrated, I only spoke Arabic at the time. Ah. Yeah. So I'm sorry, you cut off a little bit there. So I didn't hear the whole thing. But if you were asking which languages I spoke when I arrived to Canada. No, I, I was asking uh, when you're. You, you were saying that in Syria uh, a while back, French was the official language. Am I correct? Yes, a while back, yes. Okay, that's it's quite interesting. Okay, that's, that's well, good. It was under the French mandate for a while, so that's why that generation, my father's generation, uh, spoke perfect French. Mm, mm. Powerful. Okay. As for myself, though, no, all the education in Saudi Arabia was in Arabic, and uh, it was very difficult when I first immigrated because I had I had just finished high school. I was going to university, so I had to still prepare for the TOEFL exam. If you if you recall, there was an exam that you have to, to do to prove that your English is sufficient enough. Mm. And strangely, I did pass it because after I went to university, I realized it wasn't sufficient. I couldn't understand anything the prof was saying. Wow. Uh, I still have books from back then where you can see all the translated words, like word by word. Until now, when I look at it, I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this word. How did I even go to university? Wow. <laughs> so wait, you were translating from English to Arabic so you could understand. Yes, and we didn't have uh, Google Translate at the time or oh. those electronic devices. So it was that huge, big, old-fashioned dictionary. I was consulting every almost word you know, to, to be able to pass those exams. And uh, yeah, and then I learned French after because I was in Montreal. And of course, it's an important language if you want to understand the culture of Montreal and mm. you want to integrate. So I made an effort and I learned it. You, you know, the first time I had this conversation with you as well, I'm just fascinated by the, oh yeah, and, you know, and I learned English and then I learned French. And then <laughs> that is when amazing. Will, when there is a will, there is a way. Mm, mm, mm. I like that. I like that. And I was adamant. My parents were adamant and I was adamant on integrating. And um, one of the things, for example, my uh, my dad did is never having the satellite the dish, you know, that brings all these channels from around the world mm. where you can watch TV in your own language from back home. So he made sure that it was only French and English that we had access to. Wow. That is powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. So you now you have a, you know, you pushed through and somehow, you, not somehow, but like through all your hard work, you know, you were able to get a PhD in political science, which is phenomenal. Um, you work as a public servant. You're a part-time professor. Uh, how do you, at two universities, how do you balance this? So uh, since COVID, I have to say I'm not uh, teaching. I used to be uh, a, okay. a part-time professor while I was a full-time public servant. 
And my PhD was in international political economy. So I'm actually a senior economist at the government right now. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I decided like just to take a little break from uh, teaching. However, mm-hmm. before that, I was teaching in the evenings, uh, three hours per week, master's wow. classes, master's seminar. So it was very interesting because some of my students were also colleagues of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those who wanted to do their master's in the evening while keeping their daily jobs. Right, right. That's awesome. You know, from our first conversation, we talked about there was something that you were very passionate about. And I think your, your, your eyes lit up when that topic came up, volunteering. Um, you got excited and you were sharing with passion. Yes. Uh, so let me tell you a bit of the story here, just a background. So as uh, I said, when I immigrated with uh, my parents, uh, uh-huh. we settled in Montreal, they came as investors. At the time, there was that group of investors where you can come and open immediately a business. Mm. My father is a lawyer by profession. My mother is a professor of literature. Uh, but they both decided at that age, it's wiser to just have a, become entrepreneurs. was difficult, of course. They were, much, they were older. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, they opened um, a successful business for many years, and I used to work with them. So that's kind of how I supported also myself during my studies by working in the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I developed kind of an understanding and a passion for small businesses through that work. However, during that time, and for a long time, I would say like close to eight years, my life was revolving around going to university, learning the language, going to university, getting the education, Mm. uh, going to my parents' shop, working there at the the shop, different jobs. Like I was everything, you know, when you are uh, the daughter of an owner of a store, you are like the cashier, the bookkeeper, (laughs) the shelf, uh, the one who who organizes the shelf, basically everything you can do and I didn't have time or even the knowledge or the sense of volunteering because we didn't grow up in societies where that is something common particularly was a very close you know closed environment at the time Mm -hmm. I know things have changed now but at the time there weren't much many opportunities especially for women to volunteer and um, so I didn't know about the concept very well Mm-hmm. Uh, years passed and I realized that I was not making most of my friends let's say were immigrants and I didn't make lots of Canadian friends so I was always curious during that time in my 20s mm-hmm. I remember I would walk around the street and I would look at houses and I think I shared this one with you before I would look at houses or apartments to the windows like not as I'm not you know peeping on anyone, but I was just mm-hmm. looking at the windows and wondering, how do they live? How do the Canadians live? How do they, mm-hmm. um, what type of furnitures do they have? What conversations do they have around the dinner table? I was just mm-hmm. so curious about that. Mm-hmm. And by accident, for once I was talking to somebody who was Canadian um, student next to me. I told okay. me, you know, I have never been to a Canadian house. And he mentioned to me, that's because you don't volunteer. I said, okay, what, where do I start? And he's like, okay, if you want to meet people, if you want to become part of the community, you got to volunteer. Wow. And I said, okay, where do I start? He said, come with me to the soup kitchen. It was around Christmas time. So it was my first experience volunteering in my 20s mm-hmm. in, uh, in the soup kitchen uh, around Christmas. And I just loved it. 
loved mm. everything about it loved the feeling of being part of something um important something to give back the idea the sense of that community coming together doing something for other everything about it was just exciting mm. that i decided to volunteer more and i was starting to look for opportunities and that opened the whole world for me and i actually was getting my first invitation to canadian houses wow 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 that is fantastic and, and i know you know part of our conversation we talked about how it could open up job opportunities we talked about how um it could um that promotion that you're looking for is literally um it could be that person that is sitting next to you I think and interestingly you did share a story about that with yes. me I did share a story. I'm not going to name name or where, but indeed through my volunteering, I was struggling to find that job, like to have that step. After mm -hmm. the academia, I uh, I realized that I was going to be, uh, I'm not going to become a tenor professor for a long time. And I was looking for some job security and some career direction mm -hmm. uh, beside academia at the time. And in order to, to get to, to that job I was uh, working shift and that shift was so let me explain to you so that shift was from 4 to 12 at night and then I would wake up in the morning early to start teaching from 7 to 3 so wow. I almost didn't sleep that much you know I was very tired I had my twins at the time wow. so it was very exhausting to do such a long uh, long hours of work but one day I decided as I was helping uh, the resettlement of Syrian refugees on a cold January day to still go to that event where I was a speaker, mm. almost canceled because I was so exhausted and tired. But I said to myself, you know what? You're doing it for a good cause, just go. By coincidence, the person next to me happens to be a director of where I landed my first job in government. Wow. I just didn't know. I just needed that that key of how to apply, how to, and everything in my life. I would say it happened through volunteering. Every mm. connection, every um, every friendship, I would uh, I have developed over the years also was through volunteering. So I really, really encourage everyone, especially immigrants, volunteer as much as you can, wherever mm. you can. For the youth, I say also, I'm now a youth speaker, mentor. And through my university work also, I tell them when they ask, how do you find your passion? Because I'm passionate about small businesses and helping them. But they ask me, so how do you find that passion? And I keep telling them, if you don't volunteer and get involved in so many different uh, projects, you, don't, mm -hmm. you cannot find out what you're really passionate about. It's mm. through that volunteering and doing different things that I find I found the thing that really makes me excited. Mm. That's fantastic. Dr. Ruba is author of some of children's books as well. And um, so you work with the youth, you have books for kids. Yes. Um, and um, and I did some digging, Dr. Ruba, to learn I some more. Did. <laughs> I did some digging to find out more. Uh, you also have book books uh, for adults, too. Am I correct on that? Yes. 
Ah. I published a few books. They are in libraries, in fact, here uh, in Canada and at few universities in the political science departments. <laughs> but you know, my, my, the books that I really like more that I show people more are the children book because I love children. This mm. is one thing I really am very passionate about children and children, mental health and integrating children. I find it very difficult for mm. children and particularly teen and youth to integrate mm. uh, coming from sometimes two different, very different cultures. Mm. They are torn mm. between both cultures. Mm. And there's, of course, expectations from the new, uh, their new home and new society and the expectations from, the, from their parents. Mm. Uh, so I, I write a lot in my children's book about refugees, immigration, settlement, integration. I try to simplify the ideas as much as possible that they can be read to a seven years old. Oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. How can we get those books, by the way? Amazon. If you just Google my name on Amazon, you will find them. And I'm, I'm... Uh, another thing that I like is also donkeys. Um, sadly enough, they are maltreated in our uh, back in, you know, where the countries we come from. Okay. And I like that they are such hard worker animals, but they are like the underdog kind of animals. So I took so much sympathy and pity on them. I went once to Santorini as well on, for my honeymoon and they were not um, well treated. So I'm part of like an, a, a donkey sanctuary funding that uh, they have. Interesting. To save the donkeys. And that's why all my characters in my children's book are donkeys. Ah, did you write something called Ea the Immigrant Donkey? Is that one of the yes. books? Yeah, so Ea the Immigrant Donkey. Yes, the story of a donkey who immigrated and was inspired during my honeymoon. Oh, <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, I got to get me a copy of one of these so that my son, you know, my son, um, I got an email from his teacher this week, and they said he said he wants to go to Nigeria. Um, we just thought to let you know, and that he misses Nigeria. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Well, he was in school in Nigeria for two, three months, uh, yes. a year or two years ago. So it's fascinating that he remembers Nigeria from that lens. And he constantly talks about, you know, the kids he met, the friendships he had, the fun he had in school, you really? know, all those amazing things. Yeah. So I found I it fascinating that a four-year-old would remember, you know, um, those stories. Oh, um, and, yes. And keep I sharing do remember things from that time. I do remember. I, ha I had a, yeah, I remember those times as well. I remember being spanked. That's all I remember. <laughs> well, that's another another show. <laughs> that's another show. That's what I remember. The spankings. <laughs> as, as clear as day, I still remember those. That's why um, I'm so cognizant of doing things differently. You know, mm -hmm. mental health is very important. Mm -hmm. and, and the way perhaps that you raise children in one society is very different from another society. So I'm very careful, cautious. Um, parenting method that that we use here in Canada absolutely you're very right about that where in you don't fact, spoil them so much that they still have some aspirations and and some drive but at the same mm. time not too hard on them like for example one of the things that I talk about also with my youth uh, that I encourage them 
is uh, choosing their path. Because I recall I told you the story that when I first started, I did a degree in microbiology and immunology, uh, which I didn't really, I wasn't passionate about. I didn't like it. It wasn't my choice. But mm. uh, as an immigrant uh, child, usually things are uh, told to us on how to do, what path to take. Mm. And uh, there is the cliche that uh, some immigrant parents like their kids to be doctors. I, it was that for me, medicine, doc, like medical doctors. <laughs> so I uh, did go into that path. I wasn't passionate about it. And then I decided one day after I finished it to go and tell my parents, it's not what I want to do in life. And that's and the degree asked, for them, right? Yes. And when they asked, what do you want to do? I said, political science and economy and just went for it. And I was, I succeeded in that. It was a huge difference for me. Mm. And I loved it so much that I got scholarships from there. The Quebec Ministry of Education sent me to Belgium uh, on a scholarship to do my doctorate on the CETA agreement. I recall it was the beginning of the CETA agreement, Canada-EU uh, free trade agreement. Mm. It was just at the inception of that. And I did an internship at the European, at the Canadian mission to the European Union at the time. Mm. Wow. You know, uh, at least uh, Dr. Ruba, now I know who to go to when I need uh, commentary, thoughts, advice when it comes to anything politically related. You know, I'm going to be calling you and texting you. What do I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what that's what uh, I do for the government of Canada. <laughs> that is awesome. But I wanted to say thank you so much. You know, your your story is so inspiring. And I, I, I'm just, um, but by the way, I'm learning she speaks more than English and French, but we'll leave that for another conversation. You know, like just, just learning about you and, and um, our conversation. I've been so inspired by what you do. For me, you're like the epitome of the resilience and the brilliance of, um, of um, immigrants here in Canada. There and is a lot, a lot of amazing immigrants. I mean, every story I see is, oh, yours is one example. After five years, we're doing this interview and you have only been here five years. So I'm very impressed by that. It took me longer than that. But there are many immigrants who are very impressive and I'm very proud really to be part of that, that mosaic of immigrants here that mm -hmm. is trying to build, uh, like to contribute to Canada and to say, we are here, we are very thankful for those who built this country mm -hmm. and who came before us and paved the way. And, you know, just yesterday was Remembrance Day. So we are very cognizant of mm -hmm. the sacrifices that happened before us, but we are here to also help and build and give a hand. And we wanna be part of this, this great country and this fabric. Fantastic, thank you, Dr. Ruba. By the way, uh, this podcast is being recorded in November. It might end up airing uh, in 2022. So uh, Dr. Ruba just time-stamped the podcast. But uh, yes, uh, it, I, I think it's important that we're able to uh, recognize those that came before us. And, and my advice for all uh, immigrants as they, as they listen in, just um, as I listen to Dr. Ruba's story, my, my, the thing I've learned from it is the sky is the limit here in Canada. There's so many great opportunities for us to do amazing things in this country. And please just 
enjoy the journey. Enjoy the, I know the first few years are usually hard, but think of 10 years and 15 years and all the amazing things that you can do. And um, I mean, Dr. Ruba, is, thanks for saying what you've said about me. I'm always encouraged when you share that. But what I see in the future, the next 10 years, the next 15 years is much bigger, much brighter than the first five years. And that excites me uh, for the journey ahead and the person that I become as well. So I love the way Jim Rohn puts it. And I want to just share that with people listening. It's not just about, you know, where you're trying to go, but who you need to become uh, for you to be able to excel in that position or that place that you're looking for in the future. So uh, say hello to your current person now, but then that future person you're looking to become as well. Uh, be glad and be proud of who you're becoming in the future. Exactly. Doc Dr. Ruba, any advice for immigrants? I just rambled for three minutes there. My apologies. Uh, I really would say the first thing, if your English, uh, perfect your English at least, and French, and try to learn French as much as possible because it is a second official language of Canada. We are a bilingual country. So especially for those who are going to live in, in Quebec, it's a must. Don't just rely on one language. And those who are living also in Gatno and, and outside of Quebec in, in Ottawa and further. I mean, it's an important language to learn to have these two skills. Right. Uh, make, make an effort. The second thing is make an effort to integrate by knowing the culture. Try to volunteer as much as possible, not just to network for, for uh, opportunities or jobs or uh, or the next uh, the next thing that you want to do, but also to know your community, mm. to be part mm. of the community, to have roots, to build roots for yourself and for your children. And the third one, I would say, uh, for parents of immigrants, be cognizant. It's very difficult on news to be torn between the new culture and the old culture. You have to meet them in the middle. You can't be too rigid. You can't be too soft. Like there is a meet in the middle. To mm -hmm. compromise, talk to them have an open conversation about these things. And the last thing is for those who are seeking advancement and job advancement, advancement and career, uh, career help, uh, seek mentors. There are many Canadians, I know lots of refugees, for example, who came and now they are working thanks to some of the Canadian mentors who took them under their wings and either shared with them their skills or their experience. So try to find those people who will be your wings here. Fantastic. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Rubo. Appreciate it. Thank you. Really, the pleasure is mine. It's fantastic talking to you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Why don't you do us a favor and share this podcast with a friend or colleague? The Immigrant View is brought to you by ImmigrantsNetworks.com. Hi, I'm Nick Narani, founder and CEO of Immigrant Networks. Listen, if you're an immigrant or an international student looking to find a job and expand your network in Canada, Immigrant Networks is for you. Immigrant Networks, we say networking to get working. It is a community built by immigrants just like you to help you overcome one of the biggest challenges that immigrants have when they come here, and that is finding and retaining a job. Visit our website today and get matched within days with someone from your profession and learn and grow. Immigrant Networks, networking to get working. Music provided by bentsound.com.